0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. I'm going to be joined later today by Adam Finkelstein, 24-7 sports, to break down UConn's 2023 recruiting class, the Fab Five 2.0, if you will, and discuss the job that Dan Hurley has done making UConn a relevant force on the recruiting trail nationally. UConn is a cool program to play it again. It's a cool program to be recruited by again. They're going to places like Georgia and Maryland and Washington and pulling in players, elite commits, elite recruits that they weren't able to get even two years ago. It's an interesting conversation, one that I do think you're going to enjoy. Before I do, I want to talk about something that I haven't really heard becoming a thing yet, kind of in the UConn space, and that's the idea of Andre Jackson as the UConn point guard. A couple of quick programming notes. First, uh, we put together the Almanac, a preview magazine that is 600. 6- hundred thousand words 814 pages we wrote 1300 words on every single division one team we spoke to every single division one head coach to put together this magazine it's 1999 you can find it in the link below uh, in the description whether you're watching on youtube or listening to this in a podcast feed i would also recommend subscribing to the field of 68 daily it is our daily college basketball newsletter every single day. You get it arriving in your inbox at 8.30 a.m. It's the best thing to read while you're drinking your coffee, and it is a great way to keep up with the sport of college basketball. It costs exactly $0.00 and 0 cents to subscribe. I will also have that link in the description below. All right. Andre Jacks, UConn point guard. There are a couple of things at play here that I think are important to discuss as we kind of break this break this down and, and get into this idea of uh, – of AJ playing the lead guard role for us. First and foremost, I don't think that this necessarily means that Tristan Thompson uh is going to be a bust. The the transfer coming in from East Carolina, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be like Jalen Gaffney 2.0 or anything like that. He's got good size, he's got good vision, he's 6-5, he can operate out of ball screens. Um he is a guy that can make catch and th- shoot threes. He's not really a super explosive athlete, though, and and he kind of plays with this pace about him, right? He's a guy that has a certain level of finesse to his game, and that works when you get put in the ball screens and you're allowed to operate. and He's got the vision, and he kind of pick out people in the opposite corner. He can read the tagging defender, and he makes good decisions for the most part. Uh, but he's more of a guy that's going to do his damage kind of in the mid-range and in the float game and someone that is not going to rise up and dunk on you and not going to get downhill and get all the way to the rim when he gets ahead of steam. Um, and I think that's important to know. You know, he is a guy that can make catch and shoot threes really well, actually. He shot 38% on catch-and-shoot jumpers this past season, uh, according to Synergy, compared to just 34% on pull-ups. Um, and his ability to kind of play on or off the ball at six foot five makes him a really useful piece for this group but I think that's what he's going to probably end up being for the most part is a piece a guy that plays 20 minutes 25 minutes possibly off the bench for some of the games and that can be used anywhere from the one into the three he's less of a point guard in this role and more of a secondary playmaker he's going to be a guy that gets put in some ball screens he's going to get be a guy that likely gets put in some some of those actions but it's more of a Someone playing off the ball, attacking a closeout, maybe a secondary ball screen and a floor space. So that kind of a role as opposed to being what R.J. Cole was for UConn last year. And that brings me to Andre Jackson. Now, there are some legitimate concerns, I think, about putting him as a full-time point guard and putting him in a starting point guard role, not the least of which is his ability as a shooter. Look, I'm not really breaking news when I tell you that this dude's shooting stroke is a little bit awkward and a little bit different looking, right? It's a little bit wonky. He only took 71 total jumpers last season, which was about two a game, and just 22 of them were jumpers off the dribble. He's got a weird release that makes it very difficult to kind of turn a corner, pull up off the dribble, and have a good, normal-looking shooting stroke. He kind of shoots it low. It's kind of off to the side. It's it's not. He's not built to take pull-ups that are contested, right? That's just not what the stroke is. And if he's in a ball screen and you're defending it, All you really need to do is go under the screen and you kind of blow up the action. You dare him to shoot over the top of the screen. And that's kind of what you want to do if he gets put into a ball screen action. Now, that said, he has terrific vision as a passer. And even if he can be a little bit sloppy sometimes, you know, I think he makes as many highlight reel dimes as he does finding the guy selling hot dogs in the eighth row. um, He can be sloppy. And and that's not necessarily the great thing. But when he gets downhill, this is a dude that where all he needs is a step. All he needs is an inch to get by you, and he's getting to the rim, and he's going to try to finish over you. Hopefully, he's going to be dunking on some people this year. I really need Andre Jackson to get us some of these highlight real sports center plays. You know, put somebody on a poster, Andre. That's what we all want out of you. Now, it's not – this is not an ideal situation either way, right? Like, I I think – that if we could put R.J. Cole, if we could bring him back and put him him on this team that, that UConn has right now with Jordan Hawkins as a sophomore, with what we all think um, Andre Jackson is going to end up being this year, with role players like Naheem Lean and what Alex Caravan is going to end up being, with a guy that can come in and Donovan Klingon and Samson Johnson that can spell Adama Sunogo a little bit more than they were able to spell him last year, I think that would be the best situation, but that just that doesn't exist. There's no star point guard on this team this season. Um, I think throughout the season, point guard play in the half court is going to be a constant theme and something that we consistently talk about on this podcast, on UConn Twitter and the Twitter spaces, um, pretty much anywhere. I think that's going to be something that is consistently discussed. It's just, you know, every team is going to have a flaw. And I think this year that is where UConn's flaw is going to end up showing up the most. Uh, I do think that using Hassan Diara as a change of pace guard off the bench and a backup point guard is going to be. Uh, something that is a little bit effective and have a little bit more of an impact than those people are giving that credit for. Um, But it's going to, it's going to be a thing. Point guard play is going to be a thing as it is with so many teams across the country this season. But I also think that we need to have a quick conversation about Alabama's 2020, 21 team. That year they went 16 and two in the sec. They went 26 and seven overall. They won the sec regular season title. They won the sec tournament title and they, took UCLA on their run from the first four to the final four to overtime and ended up losing a thriller in that game. Um, When people think about Alabama, what they tend to think about is like this Nate Oates system where they get up and down the floor and they shoot a ton of threes and they play at one of the fastest paces in the country. And they do this, uh, kind of statistically driven and analytically driven concept of doing nothing but shooting threes and and shooting layups and shooting free throws, right? They don't want no any mid-range shots. They don't want any pull-ups. And the, the idea is that Nate Oates has this highly sophisticated, highly modern offense, and that is how Alabama winning games because they played a fast pace and they score a bunch of points. The fact of the matter is the best team that Nate Oates has had at Alabama was great because they finished third nationally in defensive efficiency that season. They were top 30 nationally in offensive efficiency. They won that year. Because they had one of the best defensive teams in college basketball that season. And so much of that was a result of a guy by the name of Herb Jones. Herb Jones was the SEC Player of the Year in 2021. He was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year in 2021. He was an All American that ended up getting drafted in this past season, had a really, really impactful rookie year for the New Orleans Pelicans. What Herb Jones is, freak athlete, six foot eight capable of defending anywhere from the one through five, legitimately being able to guard anywhere from one through five. while simultaneously having a weird jump shot and playing the point guard role for Alabama in 2021. That's who he was. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound a little bit like Andre Jackson? Now look, I want to make one thing very clear. I am not saying that Andre Jackson is going to be Herb Jones 2.0. I hope he is. I hope that's what it comes down to. I don't think that it is, Impossible. I think that that is uh, within the range of outcomes for what Andre Jackson could be this season if he hits his significantly high ceiling. Uh, I don't think that that's what I would bet on because if Andre Jackson ended up being Herb Jones 2.0, he would one be the best player on this UConn team, two. Make UConn the national title favorite. And three, we should be having a very, very different conversation about what this Yukon team is. If we can sit here and say that Andre Jackson is going to be Herb Jones. So I don't think that he's going to quite reach that level. Um, but I do think it is important to note three things as we kind of move forward here. One, the impact that having a six foot six point guard could have on the defensive end of the floor for UConn. All of a sudden, you have him, Mahim Malin, who is a great 3 and D guy. You have Jordan Hawkins, who at 6'6", with long arms and some athleticism, should be a better defender this year. And Alex Carabin, who's switchable, all with some kind of rim protection at the rim. I think that we're talking about a team that could be top 15 in uh, defensive efficiency nationally in UConn this year. So if they can, one, win with their defense, two- Get easy baskets in transition and three, find a way to get easy baskets on the offensive glass. I think that that significantly eases the burden on the impact that having some struggles in the half court will be able to have. will, will, will have this coming season. I also think it's important to note that UConn is always going to have three shooters on the floor this year. Aline, he can knock down jumpers. Um, Jordan Hawkins, he can knock down jumpers. Alex Caraban can knock down jumpers. Tr- Tristan Newton, we talked about this. He can be a catch and shoot kind of a guy. Uh, Joey Calcaterra can be a catch and shoot kind of a guy. Um, even someone like an Andre Jackson is a good enough shooter that you're going to have to close out long on him. He's not someone that you want taking five, six, seven, eight threes a game. He's not going to end up being Buddy Heald or Ray Allen or anybody like that, but he's good enough that you're going to have to run him off the three-point line. At the end of the day. The threat of making the jumper is almost as important as being able to make the jumper itself. You need to have defenses respect you. That's what creates the space. That's what creates driving lanes. And that's what creates room for Adama Sunogo and Donovan Klingon to be able to operate in the paint. And at the end of the day, that is what UConn's, uh, that's where they're going to hang their hat. Being able to get the ball into Adama, being able to get the ball into Donovan and allowing them to kind of get seals, get post touches and get easy buckets where they got to catch, turn, score. Just like that. So to sum it all up, I do think that there's a real chance that we see Andre Jackson playing a lot of minutes at the point guard spot for UConn this season. And while there are reasons to be a little bit worried about it, I also think that that there are ways that you can kind of take advantage of what his specific skill set is and the way that it fits within this UConn roster and this UConn team. And I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. We can get back to being a team that defends that forces turnovers that gets out in transition that pounds the offensive glass and does just enough in the half court offensively to be able to win games i'm all good with it man a win is a win is a win and that's all that i really care about so without further ado let's get into the interview with adam finkelstein of 24 7 sports
1: Breaking news, the Field of 68 has an online store and it's your one-stop shop for the latest and greatest merch in college basketball and college football. You can find shirts to support your favorite team, make fun of your rival team, or boast Field of 68 catchphrases like Daddy Brad, Cussing and Discussing, and the Star Heels. Go to www.fieldof68.shop today and enter promo code TOUCHDOWN for 20% off at checkout. Now, let me
0: welcome on to Top Dogs, Adam Finkelstein of 24-7 Sports, a man that's been in the grassroots world for a long time and, for my money, uh, the best currently in the college hoops recruiting world today. Fink, what's going on, man? Thanks for being here. Not much. Thanks for having me. So, before we get into specifics on the players in the 2023 UConn recruiting class, who uh, they've dubbed themselves the Fab Five, um, I want your take kind of – 30 yeah a little bit ambitious like 35,000 foot view top down uh, on UConn's kind of recruiting strategy and where Dan Hurley and his staff kind of stand in the pecking order nationally
1: yeah so I think when when Hurley arrived at UConn it was really necessary to re-establish them as a power in the northeast region and they did that you know I mean right off the bat not just uh in the New England area New England prep schools but into the tri-state area where obviously he and and Kamani Young, his associate head coach of Deep Roots, then they went into Philly and got a couple of guys Then they went down to the DMV. Um, and so they really did a nice job of, of kind of uh, making that local northeast region all the way from New England down to the DMV, that fertile recruiting ground. But um, what we've seen in this most recent recruiting cycle in the 2023 class is them really trying to expand. Um, that footprint. And we saw them go after some guys in the Midwest. We saw them go after some guys in the West Coast and even dabble with some some players uh, in, in the uh, Southern part of the country. Um, and they were able to do that too. Obviously they put together this five-man class. And so I think their ability to not only land immediate impact talent, to build depth of talent, but to simultaneously expand the scope of their recruiting arm, uh, this class is, is particularly noteworthy.
0: So when when Jim Calhoun was there, obviously he walks into the gym. You see that UConn logo, and there's yeah. like there's a name that comes with that, right? You see a guy right. that won three national titles is going to carry some some weight to it. it. How obviously Dan Hurley is not John Calipari at this point. It's probably not the same as like John Shire walking into a gym. Where where does he kind of stand
1: in that in that order? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's evolving quite honestly because um, you know it, again. Yeah. Uh, I go back to just the way in which their presence has grown with each passing year. So I think, you know, even like, listen, Rasul Diggins didn't work out at UConn, but the fact that the Philly kid chose UConn over Villanova was noteworthy and valuable at the time. I mean, that was important to UConn's brand Um, getting, you know, Jordan Hawkins to go from the DMV area up to UConn, like that was noteworthy. So I think the, the, The balance of power, so to speak, in the Northeast region had already shifted. And what you what you see in the last few months is that him going I mean, now you got Jalen Stewart out of Seattle, chose UConn over Washington Um, like that was really, really noteworthy. I think there's some players that they were just ahead of the curve with on the um, in terms of the evals, uh, Solomon Ball. Um, now again, he chose UConn over USC, and you can see what USC is doing in the recruiting trail. So, I, I really do think that that what you're seeing is the continued evolution and the growth of of UConn's brand in recruiting, and obviously that's that correlates to to dan hurley's brand when he walks in the gym but dan's got a presence i mean you, you've oh yeah you know anybody who's been around around him know, knows he's got a presence he's got a presence when he's interacting with the kids he's got a presence when he walks into the gym and that was really calhoun's thing too like when he walked in, i don't care what name like it, it could have said saint joe's on his shirt and it did but when he walked into the gym everybody knew it and i think dan's got a lot of that same like charisma uh, about him that just resonates when he's in the room
0: one of the things that i really like that they've done is kind of target guys that are high upside and and still a little bit i don't know if under under the radar is the right word maybe under um, under recruited guys that 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 have a chance to end up being lottery picks first round picks whether it's like a james book Knight or jordan hawkins and then try to trust their development right now those aren't always going to work out. You're sometimes you're going to get a Dama Nogo. Sometimes you're going to get somebody that ends up transferring out of the program in two years. Sometimes you're going to end up with Corey Floyd. Sometimes you're going to get a guy that's going to be a, a, a lottery pick like James Booknight. So is that, is that a plan by them? And how do you, how, how difficult is that to do and make that be sustainable? Right. Cause uh, at the end of the day, you're betting on a lot of almost lottery tickets, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So I think that, you know, with Booknight, it was one of those things because because they were really starting over. I mean, um, in terms of rebuilding the UConn program, there was so much immediate opportunity, not just in terms of like minutes, but also a chance to have the ball in your hand. So it was really an ideal situation for Booknight to, to go, to have volume and to have the freedom to play through his mistakes. Um, that's the benefit of, of being recruited on the ground floor of a, of a startup, so to speak, or at least a rebuilding project. You know, that has evolved a little bit because they're a lot better than they were when when they took over and not just in terms of the win loss numbers. But if you look at their offensive efficiency, you know, this is something I, I wrote about uh, a couple weeks ago, like their offensive efficiency from when, um, you know, the. Coach Hurley's staff first took over has improved each passing year. It's, it's almost ironic because people talk about them offensively. And I'm like, you know, they've finished in the top 25 in the country in each of the last two years, and they've continued to get better with each passing year. And I think that's come in correlation to the level of talent that they've they've been able to get. So I don't know if I'm answering your question totally, but I, I do feel like that the, the projects, so to speak, or, or the development cases, some of it right away was about opportunity. And now it's more about um, being proactive with their evaluations and having the opportunity to develop somebody like Donovan Klingon. He's a local Connecticut kid, but, you know, I think that's going to be another great example. So he comes in, he's going to play, you know, I I don't know that he and Sonogo are going to be able to be on the floor together much this year because they're both centers. Um, But already you're hearing rave reviews about how they've been able to change Klingon's body, about how his mobility looks a lot better. And he's just, you know, physically, he looks like a vastly different player than he was. I think uh, in next year's class, you've got a couple of guys who I think Jalen Stewart is nationally underrated. I think solo ball is was nationally underrated when they got his commitment from him. Um, and there's just different guys that are going to pop at different stages. So, um To summarize, I think initially it had a lot to do with the opportunity, and right now it has to do with their thoroughness in the evaluation
0: process. Yeah, I I think the Klingon example is the perfect example for where this program is right now, right? They probably have nine to ten guys that can legitimately play um, significant minutes at the Big East level, whereas three years ago, four years ago, that was probably like five, six, maybe seven max, and It was like one or two
1: when they took over the program, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, people forget they were they were under five hundred back to back years before he got the job in the AAC, finishing behind like South Florida and Tulsa. All all due respect to South Florida and Tulsa, but UConn should not be finishing behind.
1: Not much though, not much respect to South Florida. I mean, this (laughs) this is a program that won four national championships. You know, exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. But so so Klingon is going to come in, and he'll probably play. My guess is like twelve to fifteen minutes max, and just rest yeah. Adama and make sure that Adama has legs when it comes to March, and he'll be able to do that job well. And you're not—I don't think you're going to see too much of a drop off, um, at least in terms of what his effectiveness is. Like he'll be able to get offensive rebounds, he'll be able to seal, turn and score, and and do the job well enough that you can feel comfortable pulling Adama off. And then next year, you know, if Adama's gone, right. all of a sudden you have this guy coming in. He's a sophomore. He's got some some miles under his belt right? And all of a sudden he's going to come in and you have a guy that could end up being a a significant impact player, maybe all league down the road. And I think that's yep. exactly what you want,
1: right? Yep. Yep. And Andre Jackson, another example, like, and you mentioned him very when he got here, very toolsy. Um, he's got that explosive athleticism. He's got the, he's got good wing size. He had underrated passing ability, but he was essentially a non-shooter. And it's not that he's a great shooter now, but he's made enough strides with his shooting so that You know, opposing defenses have to at least, you know, respect him. Um, They at least have to guard him when he's spotting up. And so he's another one that the player development, the story there has been been really notable.
0: I've never seen a player that has a bigger contrast between his good passes and his bad passes. Like with Andre Jackson, it's either going to be a highlight reel or he's throwing it to the the guy
1: that's selling sodas in the in the eighth <laughs> row. So it's um, the Bears bar, it's the Bears barbecue thing up on the yeah. uh, the ramp there at Gamble. He's, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. He, he'll be fun this year. Yeah, he needs to dunk on somebody. He's so athletic. He he needs to actually dunk on someone instead of uh, trying to finger roll. It. All right, let's talk about these five guys, and I'll let you get out right. of here um is it Stephen castle or stefan castle i
1: think it he goes by steph you know nobody goes by stephen it's steph yeah
0: yeah, it's steph yeah. steph, steph I, I, I don't know if he would have gone by steph uh if stephen curry didn't become a thing but right right steph right castle 6'6 top 20 kid coming out of georgia he lit it up at um uh what camp was he at a couple weeks ago
1: uh he was at the Wooten camp yes. two weeks ago in Dallas. He played really well. This past weekend he was at the uh, USA basketball junior national team mini camp in Colorado Springs. And he was he was very good in that setting too. He he was one of the best players uh, in the Under Armour Association. He played played for Atlanta Express his whole career.
0: So how how good is he? Right? Like you hear all this hype, you hear all yeah. this talk about him as a six-six guy that's a combo. That, that's kind of what you're looking for in this day. Yeah, year. he's
1: he's multi-positional. So in this, you know, everybody talks about positionless basketball and very few people like uh, really play it. They just kind of utilize it as a talking point on the recruiting trail. But um, Castle is someone who can really embody that because not only is he six foot six, but he's physically strong with a college ready body. And he can you know, he plays with the ball in his hands. Uh, for the most part, I think if you look at UConn's class, I think they're pretty committed to giving him that opportunity. He's not someone that I would call a pure point guard, but he's definitely a, a creator and someone who can um, create uh, matchup problems in the backcourt because of his ability to get downhill and just play bully ball. I mean, there's there's not many guards in high school basketball, and candidly, I'm not sure there's going to be many in college basketball, who are physically strong enough to stop him from getting where he wants to go. He's also got the tools to be an exceptionally versatile defense, uh, defensive player, and he's a very good passer. So, um, you know, not a not, – you know, some people are going to watch him and say, geez, he's not like a pure point guard, but he can play with the ball in his hands. He can make plays for himself and others. He can defend multiple positions. I think he can defend four different positions. Um, and I think that uh, there's just going to be so much versatility with him. He's going to be, you know, he's got a chance to contend uh, for like McDonald's All American game and stuff like that. Um, so he's a, and, and, and remember, he was the first player to commit to UConn and he did it really early on. Yeah. And so that gave UConn just some added cachet to build up this class with some real star power. And a guy who's from outside this region, down in the Georgia area, although he had New York roots.
0: Yeah, that's it. Matters when you get a big name like that yeah. from a place where you don't necessarily expect to be getting a player yeah. like that for UConn. It, it it matters. All right, you mentioned solo ball a little bit. Um, Baltimore kid, right? Maryland mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Six. I, I hesitate
1: because I know they're you know DC or Baltimore. I'm not. He's he's from the DMV. I'm not sure exactly which which side of that he's on. I don't want to get anybody mad down there. Yeah. But yeah, he's a DMV kid.
0: You got to be careful when you start. Yeah, no, you're, you're not
1: kidding. You're not kidding. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, all right, but six three scoring guard, top fifty. I think he was. Uh, I don't know if he was ranked when he actually committed to you. No,
1: no. It's so, and I have admittedly kind of been been uh, driving the bus on this. I think because um, he's a player who last year, you know, last summer um, in in 2021, we were just coming out of COVID. You know, Peach Jam. Everybody was in South Carolina for two weeks. He was on Team Takeover, and he was basically, you know, he played up with the EYBL team, even though he was a rising junior. And lefty guard who shot it pretty well was pretty intriguing, but whose game was based mostly off his skill set. Um, admittedly, I didn't see him during last high school season. Come back, and in the spring, he joined Team Mello. All of a sudden, he's he's like a totally different guy. He put on 25 pounds of muscle. Um, he was all over the rim athletically, like. You know how some kids wear extra weight better than others? I mean, this kid put on weight, and it just, like, he, he it was like Peter Parker turned, turned to Spider-Man. I mean, the physical maturation was just nuts. And he continued to make shots. Um, He's got a massive wingspan. Now he's powerful. He's explosive athletically. And so I think a lot of people might have been kind of stuck to that original eval when, in reality, what we were seeing was a player who – Um, just evolved at a at a exceptionally rapid rate and from a historical perspective like those are the prospects that you want to buy stock on like when they're when they're really um starting to put it all together like that those are the guys that are gonna usually pan out long term um got to keep evolving that don't lose
0: the skill right yeah yeah
1: exactly and he's got to keep evolving as as a ball handler and and um you know see if he can add a little bit more change in direction but again, massively long, can make shots, really athletic. And he's a worker. I mean, like hyper competitive worker. So, yeah, I think that, you know, we've got him in the top 40 now. Um, I was really kind of adamant about that because I I just think that, again, his rate of improvement over the last year has been just really impressive and it makes you want to buy stock long term.
0: You mentioned Jalen Stewart from Garfield High School, I believe, out in Seattle, which is one of the the powers out there in Seattle. Seattle's a great basketball city for people that don't know. Top Mm -hmm. 75-ish kind of a kid. I I know that the staff is very high on him and and thinks he's probably better than that. Six-six wing, what do you see him being?
1: So I, I think that he was pro- one of the most under-recruited prospects in the country. I think when UConn jumped in, it was in like June. And he was a kid who had like the early Arizona offer. He had an early Washington offer. I think a lot of people just assumed he was going to end up at Washington. Um, but he's 6'6 plus, and he's like a, a thicker, big, big-bodied big kid, but highly skilled, highly skilled. I mean, you, you go watch his, his best plays from EYBL. And he makes every type of shot there is um, every range, every different kind of sequence. The thing with him is going to be, you know, just maximizing that conditioning. And once he gets a little bit of a, a more consistent killer instinct and he, he gets into the best shape he's been in, I think his game's going to go to a different level. And, um, you know, to our earlier point, I mean, in terms of getting a killer instinct, I think he's playing for the right guy. And we've already talked about what they've been able to do from a strength and conditioning perspective with guys like Donovan Kling. And you do those two things to Jalen Stewart, and there's going to be a whole lot of people just kind of kicking themselves on the West Coast that they didn't kind of pursue him harder than than they than they did, quite frankly.
0: So Jaden Ross, another six seven guy, another athletic wing. Um, he's more of like a top 150 guy, probably someone that's going to be there two, three, maybe four years. Yeah. What do you
1: think of him? Yep. Uh, he is very toolsy. He's gotten upside. They're going to, they're going to be, it's another one where I think this is a testament to, um, the thoroughness of their evaluation process and also, um, the faith they have in their player development because he's a late bloomer. He grew late in high school. He's grown something like four inches in the last year. Um, he's a good athlete. He's got shooting potential. He's got a good feel for the game too. Um, just usually makes the right play. What I really like about him is he plays with, this is like a geeky basketball term, but he plays with like great economy of motion. Like if he can get from spot a to spot B in two big strides, uh, whereas most guys would take five little strides, he's going with the two long strides. So he plays as long as he looks and he's a really intriguing long-term prospect. I think he's, he's going to require a little bit more patience um, but he's, he's made another guy who's made massive strides in the last two years and has got a very versatile tools that, that could be developed. So, you know, come in, play a role, get developed next year, but then potentially as a sophomore or junior, be ready to, to step into a, a much bigger role. I think what you see is him take on a bigger role with each passing year. Um, as long as he's willing to kind of stay the course and not skip steps, he's someone that could really pan out down the road.
0: And it wouldn't be a UConn class if you didn't have a big seven footer in there. So, Yusef uh, Singare, who I believe yeah. plays at Our Savior Lutheran, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh,
1: he's a New Heights Lightning, Our Savior Lutheran kid. He was at Upper Room Christian in Long Island uh, last year. But he's an athletic big. He's an athletic big who can really run, um, gets off his feet, can be, you know, lob threat, vertical spacer, can block shots. But the other thing he can do is he can move his feet laterally. So, I think he's going to be able to guard, pick and roll. And he's got like a nasty streak to him too. So he's a little lean. He needs to build up his body, but like athletic, mobile, hyper competitive. So I think in terms of, you know, what's required from the modern day center position, being able to protect the rim, being able to guard, pick and roll, being able to to go up and, and uh, you know, be a lob threat. He's going to check all those boxes. And the other thing that's really interesting is he's like the ideal complement to Donovan Klingon because Donovan's just such a, you know, he's a skilled guy. He's not overly mobile, but he's massive. So the the opportunity to kind of throw that change up down the road where you go from Klingon to Singare up front, I think is going to be a, a really valuable weapon uh, for, for Coach Hurley and, and the rest of the staff.
0: He posted a clip, um, I think like three weeks ago on Twitter of him blocking someone's shot and then standing over him and staring at him at yeah. ybl and it was like mm-hmm. should i have, uh should i have talked a little bit more shit or no and uh i think he ended <laughs> Is up that believing- what he said
1: that's what he posted <laughs> i
0: can't remember what he said but my yeah. I, what yeah. i he was like what what should i have done here and i my my response was you probably should have talked a little bit more and let him know and then yeah, he ended no, up he's, the he's got that him. To him
1: man he's someone got that and, and again like that's that's, I mean, UConn has kind of got that in him. you know. Yeah. I mean, they've got an edge to them, and 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 you know, I mean, that that starts from from Coach Early, and it resonates on down. But and Singari is a guy that's got to keep developing. You know, he's got to develop his skill set away from the away from the rim. He's got to develop a reliable post move or at least a jump hook. His hands have made progress in the last few years, and they've got to continue to do so. But you know, it's that combination of his physical gifts with his size and just that edge. Um, that that makes him a very intriguing long-term prospect.
0: Well, listen, man, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the expertise. Make sure you guys go check out uh, Adam's work over at 24-7 Sports.
1: Thanks for having me.